There's a little bit of everything here. You want to go out in the marsh, catch redfish, catch alligators, or if you want to go, you know, shoot wood ducks, you know, in the trees. You have it all over. Thanks for joining us on Louisiana's Playground Podcast, your roadmap to all things Lake Charles, Louisiana. I'm Brady Raynard. And I'm Anna Strider. We are here to bring you episode seven of Louisiana's Playground, where we are discussing the many different ways to play here in southwest Louisiana. Our guest today, Clint Johnson. He's on the Fur and Wildlife Fur Advisory Council, as well as serving uh, big-time seats on other different associations involving the industry and with the Fur and Wildlife Festival upcoming in January. We thought it was a good time to bring him on and really discuss all of the aspects of the industry and how it plays into Louisiana, Louisiana culture, and southwest Louisiana as a whole. Before we get to him, as we do each week, our Envy Eats segment. The segment where Brady and I head out to a local restaurant in the area and we order up the most delicious food on the menu and then we come and we share it with you all. What it's about, where you can find it, and why you need to go. We call it a taste of Southwest Louisiana. And this week we had downtown Lake Charles for the first time really deep in the heart of downtown. We go to Botsky's. And Botsky's is a premium hot dog restaurant serving up many different types of dogs right there in the heart of downtown. They are located inside the former Charleston Hotel parking garage. So the atmosphere when you walk in is kind of this hip, almost hole in the wall. You have the exposed brick and an open kitchen area where you can watch the extreme hot dogs be prepared. Extreme hot dogs. That's what they are. They're loaded to the top with all sorts of goodies. (laughs) There are seven types of different hot dogs to get from your classic beef dog to Kobe beef. There's turkey, alligator, smoked pork, smoked duck, and even the Beyond sausage. And then from there is when the options really open up. Over 25 types of uh, toppings or sauces from bacon to eggs, chili, mac and cheese, cream cheese, there's uh, other types of cheese like Swiss, feta, and pepper jack. I'm running out of breath talking about all the different toppings. And then you get to like the veggie section, right? So you could really make this hot dog into something almost unrecognizable to a hot dog because it's piled mile high. It really makes for a unique dining experience. But if you're someone like myself, I like to try one of the ones they've already put together. So I went into my German roots and chose the Dixie, and that has an alligator sausage on it, which I know we've talked about. I do love alligator, and this hit the spot. It was topped with Swiss cheese, a Cajun kraut, so it was a sauerkraut with a little bit of a kick to it, grilled onions, and a strong, rich Creole mustard and just overflowing on the sides. It was absolutely phenomenal and just because they are so versatile i actually didn't go with the hot dog i decided to go with their burgers which i typically do because i really really like their spicy bacon burger it's a beef patty of course pepper jack cheese fried jalapenos some bacon and then the real thing that ties it all together a chipotle ketchup that tastes a little like ketchup and a lot like flavor as i kind of like to say so it all puts it together really well and it's a uh, a nice burger with a bunch of different textures and flavors to it and it all really comes together and they have good hand cut fries there on the side that pairs well with typical ketchup I feel like 
it's overall just a really fun meal. The type of place where you have to kind of pull out your camera just because you want to show other people what you ended up having to eat. Their menu has different nods to the area. One of our team members who dined with us, she got the Flamethrower, which is one of the local bands here, and that's a nod to the band. And that had smoked sausage, avocado, pickle spears, jalapeno, pepper jelly, just so many different things. And her hot dog was literally coming out both sides of the bun. It just expanded out. It was rich over top and just another great aspect. When you walk into the restaurant, it's a great, quick spot to grab a meal, whether that's lunch or dinner, and you're just steps away from the heart of downtown. They're shopping right in there, as well as if you head south towards the lakefront, there's Millennium Park right there, so you can go and stretch your feet a little bit after having such a great meal. The Civic Center, if you're in town for a local event, and of course, our beloved lakefront and boardwalk area, so just a really great location in downtown for a place to indulge in a premium hot dog. Yeah, I really feel like it's one of those no-string-attached places. Like, you just come in, and it's just fun. It's just a nice, relaxed, cool environment to eat something a little bit out of the ordinary. You know, not many places you can get an alligator hot dog. So head on into Botsky's, give them a try, and let us know what you think. From a great meal to a great guest, we welcome on Clint Johnson on the podcast. He's a vice president of the Louisiana Trappers and Alligator Hunters Association, He's also a member of the Louisiana Fur Advisory Council. He's a Louisiana native and has been an avid outdoorsman since childhood. He enjoys hunting, fishing, and trapping, and he's even been featured in the Louisiana Sportsman Magazine. Welcome to the show, Clint. Appreciate you having me. We know that Southwest Louisiana has so many great things to offer as far as our culinary experiences and our cultural experiences and our outdoors experiences, which is what we're really going to be talking about today. Before we get started, we're going to ask you a few questions to get to know you a little bit better. Are you ready? I reckon. All righty. First one. Crawfish or gumbo? Crawfish. I choose crawfish, too. Why? why? What, what is up with the not gumbo love? Why crawfish? <laughs> I just prefer the crawfish. Uh, I'm not big on rice, actually. There's <laughs> a lot. Big, of- <laughs> that's a big hurdle to get to the gumbo if you're not eating the rice. All right, poolside or beachside? Pool. I was thinking you were going to say beachside. Or it was more the outdoors. I'm not big on the whole sand everywhere. Once again, rice and sand two big hurdles to enjoy the other two. So, <laughs> so concert or comedy show? Comedy show. Why comedy show then? Because I follow a lot of comedians online, and that's just kind of what I like. I like to laugh. 100% agree. So now that we know you a little bit better, and we get to see how you enjoy uh, Louisiana, and you enjoy Louisiana's playground more specifically, let's talk the fur and wildlife industry, which I know encompasses a lot more than maybe even the name kind of indicates. What all is under that umbrella? So when you talk about... The Louisiana wildlife and fur industry, you have everything from commercial fishing to basically commercial trapping, where you're trapping for the fur. You have nuisance trappers, where if, say, you have an animal in your house, that's still considered a commercial activity to have some, you know, a professional trapper come out and remove that animal from your house. Like if I had a raccoon under my porch or something. Correct. Interesting. And so with that, it makes sense why there's so many partnerships then with the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. And when I mean partnerships, I'm talking from the Fur Council to the LTAHA, which, as we mentioned earlier, you were VP of. Correct. Um, There's also an 
uh, Alligator Advisory Council. Um, and the purpose of the Fur Council and the Alligator Advisory Council is anytime a law is introduced that pertains to either fur or alligators, the council for either one makes suggestions on how is this law going to affect whether it's the commercial trappers, uh, the commercial alligator hunters, the recreational trappers, or the recreational you know, alligator hunters. How is this going to affect them in a negative or positive way? How is it going to affect the actual population of the animals that we're going after? And on those councils, is it is it mostly commercial uh, trappers, hunters, fishers, or is it a mix of both commercial and recreational? So on the Fur Advisory Council, it's a mixture of landowners, coastal landowners. There's a House and Senate designee, and then there's trappers from throughout the state. You have North, South, Central. Because every part of the state is different, you have you know, people from those different sections to represent those different sets of trappers or alligator hunters. I find it really important that you all are considering all the different components and that these advisory councils are in place to make sure that those lawmakers are educated about what the industry is and how it's impacted and that that communication from the law is also getting back down to those who are actually out there performing the hunts. Right. For a state called Sportsman's Paradise, can you put into words how important the industry is to the state? It's very important. Uh, There's a huge economic impact. If you look at just the neutral program itself for the Coastal Restoration Program, it's funded federally, but the state, you know, puts it on. There's over a million dollars paid out to these trappers and hunters every year to remove these neutra through a bounty system for removing the neutra. It's $6 a tail or something like that. But they pay, you know, all this money to save our coastline from the neutra. But you go to every different species that's harvested for the fur, and everything has a numerical value. And since inception, uh, up until about two years ago, every fur that was shipped out of the state, the trapper or fur dealer that shipped it out of the state had to pay a severance tax to the state. So that creates an income for the state. That's huge. Yeah, and something that I find really interesting, you had mentioned the Nutrat, an invasive species not native to Louisiana, was brought over and is really damaging our coastline. And so obviously those conservation efforts to save the coastline, a lot of it goes with trying to control the population of the Nutrat. And on another instance, alligators. At one point, the people of Louisiana had hunted them nearly to extinction, but conservation efforts there brought the population back to being the number one population density in the entire country. And so those are two conservation efforts that we've kind of seen that have become more successful over time. Right. So when the alligators had went so far down to where there was hardly any left, the state decided, you know, that, okay, it's time to do something about it. We can't keep going like this. They're dinosaurs. If you don't have alligators, that's a predator that's going to allow other things to start overpopulating. And there's a lot of things, you know, we can talk about, you know, population control from different species and how they interact. So one of the things the state has done 
is they created the alligator farms where these farmers, they take certain eggs from the wild, incubate them. They're allowed to keep a percentage of them. And then the rest after they're hatched have to be returned to the wild. So it ensures that these alligators, uh, that these eggs can hatch and go back to the wild and not have nest predators eat all the eggs up. Yeah, and I think it's important. I've learned a little bit about alligators recently. Having gone to a Gator Chateau in, in Jennings, there's a couple of different interesting tidbits with it. There's a low percentage of actual eggs laid in the wild survive because of those predators. So obviously that is something going in. But an interesting tidbit with it as well is that there is no negative impact on an alligator raised in captivity up to about two years old, put it back in the wild, its instincts kick in, and it doesn't have negative repercussions for introducing them back in the wild, which is why, you know, the conservation efforts have worked so well. It's a true natural cycle of life here and just the aiding on both sides of it that there is the the component where there's a conservation and also the control aspect of it. We've seen how it's affected both the land and a few of the animals. How does it affect the people here? To give you an example of, I've got the number of licensed trappers in this state. So in 2020-21 season, there was 3,127 trappers. So each one of these trappers, you know, they're out there, they pay a license fee, and all that goes back into an education. The trapper's license fee goes to the fur council, the fur advisory council, to be used for education purposes. And fees from the over 3,000 people, you're giving it back to the state to be used to educate, whether it's children in elementary school about Louisiana, Louisiana fur, Louisiana alligators, to actual new trappers. There's a joint venture between the Trapping Association and the Fur Advisory Council to host free workshops. It doesn't cost anything to go to them. You can learn how to trap, why to trap, as well as get a kit to get you started to do it safely and humanely. That's so important to have and for the community to know that we have and those interested or even you know, you said you have been doing this as a child. If you don't have that legacy to kind of show you the ropes, but you are interested in because you are from here or maybe you've moved here and it is something that's really unique to Louisiana, especially southwest Louisiana. Right. They have lots of nutra here, lots of otter. It's one of the last places in Louisiana that you can still find decent populations of muskrat. The nutrat being an invasive species for the most part, they've run out the muskrat. A muskrat is a lot smaller than a nutra, and they're eating the same thing. So they can't compete. You know, southwest Louisiana is one of the last places you can really get on a good muskrat population. And is that due to the control aspect of the nutra? The nutra just hasn't got that stronghold in some of the spots yet. But they are here, and I don't see it being a whole lot longer before they run that muskrat completely out. You had mentioned uh, how Southwest Louisiana was different in terms of the muskrat. How else is Southwest Louisiana different than other parts of the state? I think one thing to kind of look at is the abundance of opportunities 
forest. We have fresh water. We have uh, brackish water. We have salt water. We have wooded areas. It seems like every habitat to fish, hunt, trap, we have it. There's a little bit of everything here. Whether you're looking for a, you want to go out in the marsh, catch redfish, catch alligators, or if you want to go, you know, shoot wood ducks in a swamp, you know, in the trees, you have it all over here. There's a lot of opportunity for a lot of different things in southwest Louisiana. Is it the most diverse in the state? If it's not, it's close. There's pretty much everything here. About the only place that would really compare could be the Chafalaya Basin. But most of that's floodplain. As to where here, it's, it kind of stays the same for the most part year-round. And I wanted to ask, too, you had mentioned the education why is that such a focus of of the councils, of the associations, and basically anyone with any type of authority there in the in the industry? Well, trapping is a we call it a dying art. It affects so many people, whether they realize it or not. You know, kind of like we were saying earlier, animals if they're not controlled in some manner, whether it's hunting, trapping, either way, they start to become overpopulated. Well, if nature takes its course and animals are overpopulated, nature's way of population control is diseases. And that's definitely not something that we want in the air. It's not. Because those same diseases that are in wild animals start going, getting into your pets. And then if you have the predators, if when they get overpopulated, because there are places where there is no trapping anymore, it's been outlawed, and they have predators that are going in people's backyards and taking their pets, they're attacking people, you know, so we want to prevent that. We want to keep that balance. And balance is difficult in many different aspects, but especially with something that is truly the cycle of life in so many different components of dealing with people, dealing with wildlife, and dealing with so many different types. I think that's really what makes it unique. I say that all the time, though. (laughs) Everything's unique around here. Well, it is, and that's what I think makes Southwest Louisiana so special and so different than other parts of the state because we're so unique in so many different aspects. The fur and wildlife industry, obviously, uh, included with that. We mentioned education, but beyond education, it seems like there's also a focus for safety and that we talked about the conservation. And then with that, you'd kind of touched on, on permits, but how many different types of permits are there within both kind of the hunting and the fishing realm? So hunting, there are, there's a lifetime hunting and fishing, which covers you for everything except for commercial license. Uh, When you get into the commercial license, you know, there's, hundreds of different licenses that are available. But for the, the basic recreational stuff, uh, for fishing, you're going to have a separate saltwater license as well as your you know, basic fishing for freshwater. There's different gear licenses, uh, whether you want to use hoop nets or you know, crab traps, hunting licenses, there's archery licenses, there's trapping license, there's a primitive license. And what is a primitive license? So primitive license is what we used to consider muzzleloader, but with some of the newer regulations, it's not 
true muzzleloaders anymore, but it's they still consider it primitive because it's single shot. But it can be straight walled cartridges. And there's different seasons, obviously, for each. Some yes. are strictly primitive season where for certain weeks are booked just for primitive hunting. Right. You have certain just like archery only where you can only use archery equipment. Um, and with archery only in some areas, the state is divided into different areas for deer hunting. Certain areas will allow you to shoot bucks and does, you know, during the archery season without any kind of restriction. So there's just, there's different regulations for different areas. So if somebody wants to get into the hunting and stuff, they really need to look at their area and uh, call the wildlife and fisheries office just make, you know, to make sure that you're doing it right. With so many different types of permits that one can acquire, what is the purpose of so many of them? One thing having these different permits allows the state to do is keep track of how many people in the state are actually commercial turtle trapping, and that allows them to set the regulations so there's no over-harvest. You know, we want to keep that balance. So by keeping, you know, tight records on who's doing what, what's being taken from the wild, what needs to be put back to the wild, what do we need to stop harvesting, you know, what do we need to put these more restrictions on, what can we lessen restrictions on. And that's so important, like you were saying, with the, the conservation component and the education being such a focus of the industry as a whole, to be able to truly keep tabs on what's happening to make informed decisions about how to best impact the state and all of the wildlife and the people, too, because I think that's really important. When you're talking about some of these different aspects, there's so many times that we've been talking about some of the food on the menus and how it is turtle, alligator, duck, these different components that make our menus that people love so much, so unique. And this is how those different meats are able to be served. Yeah. And it's obviously shaped our entire cuisine here. You know, this industry, people talk about how good Louisiana food is. Well, a lot of it has come from our ability to be hunters and trappers. You know, the Nova Scotias that came down that became Cajuns had to adapt to the land. And so it's kind of a nice symbiotic relationship almost that we've tried our best to create, it seems like, with the the different laws and regulations to try and keep the balance there. Right. And it keeps things from going to waste. You know, if you can harvest an animal, say for the fur, like a Nutrirat, you know, it's an invasive species. We can harvest him for the fur. We can also use him as table fare, so nothing's going to waste there. Speaking of how diverse and how uh, unique our area is, it really makes the most sense that the Fur and Wildlife Festival, a celebration of the industry that takes place the second week of January every year, happens right here in southwest Louisiana in uh, Cameron Parish. And after not being here last year, it's nice to be back, I'm sure. The Fur Festival has been around since the 50s. And some people say even before the 50s. At the Fur Festival, you know, there's all these different events that go through the different ways of life for the region, all packed into one festival. And with it being kind of known as one of the oldest and coldest festivals, because it is in January, there's so many different 
pieces of the festival that go on from a gumbo cook-off. I know we were talking about food and we love food here in Southwest Louisiana, but also there's a duck and goose calling I've heard about. I'm sure that's fun to listen to. Um, And then there's the pageants. Of course, Louisiana is really known for the pageants that we have here in different representation across the state in different industries. And then is there an oyster shucking contest? Yes, there's an they have an oyster shucking contest. They have muskrat and nutra skinning speed competitions. Oh my gosh. Which is really cool to watch. Some of them guys can they can take that fur off pretty quick. Do you participate in any of the contests? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> You're there for the entertainment yeah, portion. I'll go for the entertainment. I had read that a lot some of the history of the Fern Wildlife Festival started because a Louisiana resident had finished like top five in the entire country in a skinning contest that they had the kind of a national thing and they came back and was like, why don't we have our own version our of own it? Basic version of this. I, am I right there? Yeah, there was a, I believe it was a representative from Maryland that challenged, they challenged uh, a guy from Louisiana and he skinned, it was so many muskrats and so many minutes or so many seconds or something like that. And they just kind of went from there. And came back and started our own Southwest Louisiana tradition. Does this festival have people who are primarily in the industry here? Or is it really a time for folks from all around the state to come together and celebrate all the different aspects of the industry? There's people from not only all around the state, there's people from you know other states that come. Uh, in fact, I talked to a guy earlier today that his he actually won one of the gumbo contests down there, and he told me that you meet a lot of people from Maryland that come, that come down because it's part of their history as well. So they come down to enjoy it. You know, it's just so you meet all kind of people there. That's really cool. For someone that, that's in the area ever during that second week of January, what can one expect while there? We kind of see some of the different contests and stuff. What is the experience of going to the Fern Wildlife Festival like? You're going to meet some really nice people, eat some really good food, and listen to some good music. What more could you ask for? That sounds like a pretty good time. Put it on your calendar, Brady. It's <laughs> <laughs> me writing. So I, I personally... Must admit, I've been crabbing, I've been fishing, but I have yet to go hunting. If I was to choose to go hunting in the area, where would I go? So if you're new to hunting, in this area, there's a lot of waterfowl guides that you could go hook up with. You know, that would be one of the best ways to start. They know the area because you don't want to get lost in the marsh if you've never been out there. I certainly do not. (laughs) Would you say probably uh, that waterfowl is probably our best hunting here in the in the area? Yeah, I think waterfowl is probably the number one hunting in the area uh, because there's so much marshland, and that's where all the waterfowl come to the winter, and they feed in there. From there, something that is uh, really exclusive to, obviously, the salt water and being on the coastline, crabbing. It's something that has really become a way of life for everyone in um, Louisiana almost at some point. And we've got a lot of great spots to to go crabbing down here as well, huh? Right. You can go down to Hackberry and just about pick a ditch anywhere and go pick up crabs. 
And certain times of the year, you can pick them up just crossing the road down there. And the best part of crabbing to me is that it requires practically nothing. A string, a net, and a piece of meat, and you can go crabbing. You know, it doesn't quite have that barrier to entry that hunting or even fishing to some extent has. There is a permit that you do need to get to go crabbing. It's still all of the different components that make it an easy, fun activity down on the Creole Nature Trail there. But again, going back to that, being able to kind of keep track of who's out there and the amount of people who are crabbing. Right. And that goes back to originally there was no license or anything. Anybody could just go out there and start catching crabs. And there's a limit on crabs. So you don't, you know, over harvest. But the state had no idea how many people was going down there and removing these crabs. So now they're able to keep track of that. And finally, we've talked fishing on the podcast before. A lot of great spots, obviously, here in the area with us having all three types of water, right? The combo, the fresh, and the salt water. Um, We have great guide services as well, places like Big Lake. Uh, Where are some places that you'd suggest someone not familiar with the area to uh, go through a pole in the water at? Uh, There's several accesses, you know, down around Hackberry that you can just you can park at a, a boat launch and go and catch redfish and speckled trout just off the bank. Uh, there's some docks down there. If you want to take a charter out to Big Lake and go catch redfish or any kind of you know, salt water, there's some guides out in Lacassine to go bass fishing. There's alligator gar in the marsh. Those are huge. Yes. Those are terrifying creatures. <laughs> they are. They are. <laughs> <laughs> Uglier than sin, too. Hey, now. Have you seen them? I have. Look. It's their natural gar, beauty. There's their fish, teeth shining. A garfish is a, is, is a fish that only a mother fish could love. <laughs> what a compliment to the garfish. I know in the community, too, we have a number of bodies of water right here in Lake Charles that you might not be able to catch that redfish, but you can cast a line on the lakefront. You can go out to Preon Lake Park. Or... Or go out to my new favorite spot, Riverside Park, North Lake Charles. Uh, a few great piers and stuff to kind of toss off of. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely plugging that as often as I can. I love that park. <laughs> but just, again, going back to that, the diversity of experiences while still having, you know, I want to go fishing. Well, what, what kind of fishing? There's so many different things that you can do here. You can also go bow fishing around here. You know, that's That's, oh, that's on my thing. bucket list. Do we have charters? There, there, there are lots of charters here, especially when you get around Big Lake and into the marsh. There's a lot of bow fishing charters. Go get that big alligator gar with a bow. Well, Clint, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I've learned so much about the industry and why it's so impactful here to Southwest Louisiana. And I've got a few things on my bucket list that I'll be working on in 2023, bow fishing being one of them. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate y'all having me. Thanks again to Clint for joining us here on the show, and thank you for taking time out of your day to join us here on the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcast. 
Each rating and review helps us be able to grow our audience and further be able to bring you the unique stories of Southwest Louisiana. Go over to visitlakecharles.org slash podcast for more episodes, details on where to eat and drink, and events happening this weekend. I'm Anna Strider. And I'm Brady Raynard. Thanks again for coming play at Louisiana's Playground. Stay tuned.